Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, just thinking about that song, the words. Lord, you left your throne in glory. Come down to this earth and to chase a worthless sinner like me. And Lord, you saved me and you made me your own. You found a people who were lost, without hope. And Lord, you saved us from judgment, saved us from our sin. You claimed us and you made us new. So Lord, today we praise you. And we boast in you. We glory in you. If it were not for your grace, we would forever be lost. But because of your love and your grace, and your, your grace alone, we have hope. We have salvation. So Lord, today, as we open up your word, let us remind us today, Lord, that you are the cause of our salvation. You are the God of our salvation. Our life is absolutely dependent upon you. Therefore, Lord God, you deserve all glory, honor, and praise. So let us lift our hearts today and magnify your name, your name alone. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, open with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Continuing our study in, in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Today we're looking at the last paragraph in chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. 26 through 31. And if you do not have a Bible, then I invite you to take the pew Bible there in front of you and open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 26 through 31. And if you do not have a Bible, then I want you to invite you to, to take that Bible with you. And that's our gift to you. We want you to have a copy of God's Word. So please take that and, and use it, read it, enjoy it. 1 Corinthians 1, we'll be looking at 26 through 31. One of the biggest con contributors to division anywhere is, is pride. Uh, few boys were out in the, the yard playing, you know, backyard baseball. And they got out there, and they were playing along, and, and one boy, he hit the ball, and, man, he got, a, he, he got it good, right? He, he sent it sailing. 
So he starts hitting one base, second base, third base, rounding to home. But uh, someone ran out to the outfield. They grabbed the ball. They threw it as hard as they could to the, to the player sitting there at home plate. And, and right as, as he caught the ball, the runner came in and, and touched home bait. I mean, he touched him the same time that his foot hit the plate. And so the runner, of course, said, I'm home. And, of course, the one with the ball said, you're out. Right? And they began to, to argue, no, I was, I was safe. No, you were out. No, I was safe. No, you were out. They got argued back and forth, back and forth. Finally, the, the runner said, well, if that's the way you're going to play it, then I'm going to take my ball and go home. Right? We've heard the story. We've probably been there to some degree or the other, right? Uh, that's what takes place. It broke up the game. The group dispersed because there was no ball to play with. And so uh, it was all because of pride. Neither one of the boys could admit, all right, well, I'll give it to you, or all right, I'll, I'll step back. It was all because of pride. Neither one of them wanted to admit they were wrong. And we see the same thing happen all over the place. We see it happen in marriage, don't we? We see it happen in, in our own, probably our own marriages, right? Get in an argument, you get husband and wife, get to fussing and fighting about something, and, and all it would take to end the argument is one person say, okay, I'll back down, we'll do it your way. But they refuse, they refuse, they refuse. Neither one wants to give in to the other. It's pride, it's pride, it's arrogance. And so, uh, sometimes this even, I mean, it keeps boiling, keeps boiling, and a lot of times it ends in divorce because no one will humble themselves. Pride ends up breaking up a marriage. And we see it, of course, in the church. We see it in the church. This group has their opinion, that group has their opinion, and so you get to fussing and fighting, and no one will give in to the other. Uh, no one wants to admit defeat. Nobody wants to, to give at all. And so what ends up taking place? Well, churches begin to split. People begin to leave. It's all because of pride. And that's one of the problems that's taking place here at the Church of Corinth. They're getting in these fuss, these fusses and these fights over really stupid stuff. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. Well, I follow Peter. I follow this person, that person, the other person. I'm, this is the, the group to be in, right? And, and neither, none of the groups want to give in. It's all about pride. And it's causing division in the church. So division is a, one of the biggest contributors, or pride is the, one of the, most, the biggest contributors to division everywhere. But you know, the gospel brings unity by removing every worldly reason for boasting. It removes pride out of the picture if we would just focus on the gospel. Now last week, we kind of began this, uh, this little three-part argument here that Paul is making about pride and, and how it ends up splitting the church or causing division within the church. And last week, we looked at the word of the cross, the gospel, it eliminates boasting in worldly wisdom. God makes foolishness, worldly wisdom, out of the foolishness of the gospel. The world, they look at the cross and they say the cross is foolishness. 
What, you worship a crucified Savior? No, the world's looking for a powerful Savior, a conqueror, not a crucified Messiah. But yet that's the way God chose to save the world, through a crucified Christ. And so the gospel makes foolishness the world's wisdom. Um, Therefore, we saw last week, there are two kinds of people in the world. There are those who are perishing and those who are being saved. Those who are perishing, they, they find the cross. Well, let me just read that text. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, Paul says, it is the power of God. Now this week, Paul continues that same kind of argument. But now he moves from the, the message of the gospel the word of the cross, to the people. The people who are being saved. And today we see that the word of the cross, or excuse me, uh, yeah, the word of the cross eliminates boasting in worldly hierarchies. In those worldly categories for boasting, those uh, areas of social status that we most often boast in. He looks at God's folly by choosing and saving an insignificant, really, people. And so today, as Paul concludes this paragraph that we'll read in just a minute, the sermon in the sentence is just that. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The Lord is our only reason for boasting. glorying. So today we're going to see two reasons we boast only in the Lord. We're going to see two reasons from our text why we only boast in the Lord. So if you found your place there in 1 Corinthians, please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Hear the word of the Lord. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. So two reasons we boast only in the Lord. First of all, we boast only in the Lord because... God eliminates worldly categories for boasting. God eliminates worldly categories for boasting. Look at that first verse, verse 
26. Or consider your calling, brothers. Now that's a familial term. And so Paul is not just uh, saying, talking to the men of the church. We know this, right? He's, he's saying brothers and sisters, all of the people of the church. For consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards or according to the flesh. That is the worldly way of thinking. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. So what Paul is doing there, he is laying out these worldly categories for boasting. This is the way the world thinks, right? The world discriminates. The world discriminates. That's what we see. That's, it's evident everywhere. And these are worldly categories of discrimination. Not many of you were wise. That is, not many of you were intellectually elite. And that was important. That was significant in Paul's day, and it's still important in our day. There were philosophers who would go around, and they would, they would preach their philosophy. And if they got a following, well, then they could open up a school, and, and people revered them, and they were, they were high up in society. They were considered to be those that you, you pursue, and you look after, and you learn from. And so they respected those who were wise, those who were intellectually elite in their society. Not many of you were powerful. That is, you didn't have worldly influence. You weren't politically strong. We do the same thing today. Those who have influence in our society, we kind of hold up on a pedestal, don't we? We revere them, we look for them, and, and man, we want to be their friend because, hey, they wield influence in our community. Not many of you were wise, not many of you were strong, not many of you were of noble birth. You, you weren't born of a high birth. You weren't born to rich parents, influential parents. And again, if you have people who are born into, uh, you know, those elite families in society, we don't have nobles here in America, but, uh, but we do have those social elites, don't we? Those people who have made a name, they have a family name that is revered in the community. And if you're born in that family, well, then you are revered. In Arkansas, a few years ago, we had uh, the lieutenant governor, uh, Winford Rockefeller, well, he had the Rockefeller name, right? He was of noble birth. And so people in the state revered him because of who he was, who his family was. And so you have this in society. We see that here in Bastrop. We see it in Bastrop. We see it all over the place. And the world tends to discriminate. They tend to have those people in society that they hold up on a pedestal and, hey, you want to be in a class with them. If not, well, then you don't quite add up. That's the way the world works. And we can see it in churches, can't we? Well, if you're not dressed this way, or if you're not from this class of people, or if you do this kind of work, then, well, maybe you don't belong here. You don't belong in this group of people. You don't belong in this class of a church. I'm not saying it's necessarily the truth here, but it could be. It could be. 
we can see this in church where churches began to, to pursue not everyone, but they pursue those of, of high standard, of those are of, of high living, of high birth, if you will. They begin to pursue those because, hey, that's who we want in our church because, hey, they can bring friends and they've got money and they've got all of these things. And so let's go after those folks. Let's target those folks. The world discriminates. An associate of mine several years ago, um, he, was a, he was a well-to-do man. I mean, he had, he had means, right? And, and so he had a good job, good-paying job. And uh, he lived in, in Little Rock, worked, had a government job, and so he rubbed elbows with the high muckety-mucks there in Arkansas. And uh, so he was well-off. He was well-to-do. Well, one day he was out working in his yard, and he had on his old grubby blue jeans and an old sweaty T-shirt and uh, all dirty and everything, had grass stains on his knees, all of that kind of stuff. But he realized he needed something, so he went to the store, ran to the hardware store, picked up something to work in the yard. And while he was coming back home, he, he went by the car dealership. Well, his wife had been telling him about this nice, pretty little car there on the front uh, line of the car lot that she, she really would like to have. So he thought, well, you know, I got a little time here. I'm just messing around in the yard. So while I'm out, I'll just swing in here and check on this car, see what it, what's all about. Well... He went in, and he, a salesman came out, and he said, well, I'm kind of interested in this brand-new car out there. I think it was a Mercedes, this brand-new Mercedes out there on the front line of your car lot. Well, the guy looked him up and down. Well, yeah, yeah that's a nice car, but, but, you know, I've got a, new, a used car back over here in this lot that, that you might be interested in. It's got a little more miles, but it's, it's, it's not as much money. Uh, let's go look at this car but I want to look at the new car. Oh, but I think you'll be better suited in, in this car. I mean, I think it's, it'll meet your needs better. So he humored the guy. He went off. He looked at the used car. He said, all right, well, I thank you, but I'm not interested in that one. So he got, he got up and left, went home, took a shower, put on his suit, drove back up into the car lot, he went and found another salesman. He says, I want to look at that car, that new car. They went out. They looked at that new car. He went, went back in. He says, I want to buy that car. And so he sat down. He filled out all the paperwork, and he bought that brand-new car. And then he went and found that other salesman. He said, man, you just lost a big sale because you looked at me and my dirty work clothes, and you made an assumption about who I am, who I was, and it costs you. But you know what? We do that all the time. We look at people. We look at outside appearance, outward appearance, and we make assumptions about who they are, what they do, and what they can do for God's kingdom. We often pursue those who dress nice, look nice, have a good job, rather than those of low birth those who are not so wise by worldly standards, those who are not strong by worldly standards. Church, we must be careful of that. We've got to be careful of that. The world discriminates, but look at this. God is indiscriminate. God is indiscriminate. Look again at that verse. 
He, taught, he says, consider your own callings, brothers and sisters. So these are people who are in the church. They're saved. And he says, not many of you were, of wise, uh, were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low, what is of low birth, and what's despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. God is indiscriminate. Notice that word there, not many. There were some. There were some. We know this by reading the rest of the New Testament. Go back to Acts chapter 18 where Paul comes into to Corinth and begins to build the church. There were people there who were of, of high standing in, in the society. There was the, 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 the leader of the synagogue. He came in and became part of the church. There were other people there. There were city officials there. There were wealthy people there who had big enough homes to have church, to hold church in. They didn't have a building like this. They had to do it in homes. And so there were wealthy there. There were all kinds of people there. There were those who were rich, those who were powerful, those who, who were smart according to the world's standards. But, you know, by and large, the church has always been common folk. It's been made up by and large by common people. There's all kinds of people from the richest to the poorest in God's church. But by and large, if you look at history, the church has primarily been made up of common people. Let's look at Hollywood today. Yeah, there are a few out in Hollywood who are devout Christians. And man, I'm proud of them. They stand on their Christian belief and, and they, they speak a word, uh, the word of the cross every chance they get. But... You know, by and large, there's not many out there. But God saves all kinds of people. God saves all kinds of people. God is indiscriminate. Therefore, church, we must be indiscriminate. We must be indiscriminate when it comes to, to our, our own fellowship. In James chapter 1, Chapter 2, James hits on this same, same thing. He talks about the sin of partiality. James chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who is wearing fine clothing and say, you sit here in this good place. Why you say to the poor man, you stand over there or, or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made a distinction among yourselves and become judges when, with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world? Uh, to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him, by you have, but you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you, 
And the ones who drag you into court, are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? We can't be discriminate. Or, yeah, we can't be dis- discriminate. We must be indiscriminate. We can't discriminate in the church. The word of the cross, the gospel, it moves all of those, those social standards outside of the church. There are no parties in the church. There's no different economical groups in the church. We're all in the family of God. We're all rich in the gospel. We're all rich. We have an inheritance that's coming to us. So we can't allow those divisions to be in the church. We can't look on those who may have less money here as if they're poor and below our standards. They are equal. They have equal say, equal, uh, equal fellowship within the church. The gospel eliminates the social structures within the church, but also the gospel eliminates the selective evangelism that we often see. So many people will target certain groups. Let's go after this group. I've heard several church planters along the way. I, I want to target the, the uh, uh, young, uh, young professionals. I want to target young professionals. I haven't heard many say, I'm going to target homeless people. A few, praise God. But most people, when they want to target evangelism, they want to target those people who are high up in society or at least are on their way up in society. Let's, let's pick those who have money. Let's pick those who are well off so we can build this thing bigger, right? But the gospel eliminates such targeting. God came to save the lowly. He seeks those who are poor in the world to shame the rich. Those who are wise to shame, or those who are foolish to shame the wise. Those who are, are influential, he, he, he uses those who are not influential, those who are weak to shame those who are strong and influential in society. Therefore, church, as we go out to take the gospel to our community, we target everyone. We must target everyone because God saves all kinds of people. So God eliminates worldly categories for boasting. So God eliminates those world categories. Second, our second reason for boasting only in the Lord is because God gives every reason to boast in Him alone. God gives every reason to boast in Him alone. Everything that we have is found in Him. Everything that we are, everything that we will be is in Him. First of all, we see this. As God removes all other boasting and He gives every reason to boast in Him alone that God chooses. It's God who chooses. Notice again there, verse 27, but God chose what is foolish in the world 
to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. Paul says three times, God chose, God chose, God chose. Dear friend, I want you to know that if you're a Christian today, it's because God chose you. This is that doctrine of election. The word there for chose, it's, it's from the, the, the root word, is, is the word from which we get that word election. God chose you. He elected you to save you. Scripture says that without God working in us, we have no chance of salvation. Paul says in Romans chapter 3 uh, that none are righteous. No, not one. Not a one of us was ever righteous. We didn't have a righteous bone in our body. No one seeks after God. No one pursues God. Let me tell you, dear Christian, you on your own never pursued God. You didn't have it in you. You might say, well, I, I'm, not, I, I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad, right? I was a good old boy. I was a good old gal coming up. No, you weren't. The only reason that none of us were as bad as we could be is because God's grace of restraining us, holding us back. We would never, ever pursue God if God hadn't first pursued us. God chose you. He chose to save you. He chose to do a work in you. God chose. It was His choice to save you. It wasn't your choice to be saved. God chose you. Why did God chose you? What was the reason behind it? Did He look down in history and, and see something in you? No. He couldn't have done that because if he looked down in history and just saw you as you are, he would have seen no reason to redeem you. But notice what he says. God chose you in order to, right? God chose what is foolish in the world in order to. That too is a, is a purpose statement. In order to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame. In order to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, in order to bring to nothing the things that are. In other words, you were chosen in Christ Jesus according to God's sovereign will. God didn't see something good in you and say, oh, that one's mine. God saw a sinner and he says, I chose, I'm choosing that one. God chose you according to his own sovereign will, not because of something in us. We are dead. We are dead outside of Christ Jesus. And here was his purpose, in order to shame, right? In order to shame all the categories that the world holds in such high esteem. God chose to, to save those whom he sowed to shame the world system. 
We put things up on a pedestal, and God says, I'm bringing those things down. I'm bringing down your idols, even your idol of self-reliance. I'm bringing it down because you could never save yourself. Only I have the strength and the power to save you. So I'm bringing down your idol. I'm crushing it under my feet. I'm bringing it to nothing. All other gods, I'm bringing them down to nothing so that I stand exalted. God's election, the reason for it is to bring to nothing the things that are, the things that stand before God going on there. Notice what he says. Verse 29, so that, another purpose statement, so that no human being, no flesh might boast in the presence of God. You can never boast before God. Never. You can never go to God and say, well, look, God, didn't I do a great job in, in choosing you? Didn't I do a great job of, of, of trusting in you? You have no reason to boast before God. None. I have no reason to boast before God. If it were not for God's grace, we would all, be, we would all get what we deserve is hell it's all because of God's sovereign grace that he chose us and he saved us so God chose God made wise God made wise notice again what he says there moving on to verse 30 and because of Him, or from Him, from God. You are in Christ Jesus. It's God, right? It's because of what He's done that you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God. So we were in a place where Christ was foolishness to us. Yes, even if you were raised up in church, even if you, were, you, you knew the gospel from, from when you were a baby on, there was a time in your life before God opened your eyes, before God made you wise, that in some sense that the cross was foolishness to you. Christ was foolishness to you. I can do this on my own. I can do it myself. But God made Christ wisdom to us. That is, He opened our eyes to see. He opened our hearts so that we could understand. The world still looks at the cross and they say, foolishness! That's outrageous! That's just stupidity! You're crazy for following such a Christ as that. But because of God, from God, Christ became wisdom. He became wisdom when the Holy Spirit touched our hearts and made our hearts alive. He made us alive together in Christ, Ephesians chapter 2. He made us alive. He made us where Christ seemed wise to us. He opened our dead hearts. He made our dead hearts alive. He opened our ears, opened our eyes, opened our mind to see Jesus for who He truly is God made wise and God saved 
God saved. Because of Him, because of God, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Now those three words there are are working to define what this wisdom is. This wisdom in Christ, this wisdom from God is righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Three words that kind of describe salvation. It's righteousness or, or justification. We are justified. We are made righteous in Christ. We were not righteous. We were very unrighteous. We were sinners, dead, separated from God. But in Christ, Christ became wisdom to us, and He became our righteousness. We're declared righteous in Christ. We are now righteous in Him. Righteousness and sanctification. That is, we are made holy. Even now, dear Christian, God is working in you to make you holy, to make you like Jesus. He is sanctifying you. We are made holy. We're made sanctified in Christ. And we are redeemed. We are redeemed. We have been bought with a price, the price of the blood of Jesus Christ, so that we can be bought out of slavery to sin bought out of of slavery to even our judgment we have been bought with the price of the blood of jesus christ so that we can be made children of god free from sin free from judgments free from guilt god saved he saved you dear christian by choosing you Ascending His Son to die on the cross for you, for your sins. And then being raised again, showing that all of your sin has been paid for. And at the right time, God called you. He invited your heart. He opened your heart up to see the gospel, to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when that happened, you responded. You responded in faith. Yes, there's human responsibility there, friend. Don't miss that. God chose you. He elected you. And He he sent the word of the gospel. He made you alive so that you could understand the gospel and receive the gospel. And then you had responsibility to respond in faith. But all of it is God's work. You would never have responded in faith had God not elected you, had He not opened your eyes, had He not made you wise. God saved you. Therefore, you have no reason to boast before the Lord. Therefore, as Paul ends the passage there, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You know, if I went out and drove up to church next Sunday, brand new, red Chevy Z71, right? I 
come up in here and said, oh man, nice truck, beautiful truck. Yeah, man, I worked hard for it. I, I worked, I've saved, I scrunched, now I got this huge payment, but hey, it's mine, right? It's me. I'm doing the work. I'm getting that, right? I, I could boast in what I'm doing to earn that truck. But now think about, you know, what if James, pick on you a little bit, brother. What if James come up and said, Richard, I, I know you, you like Chevrolets and uh, your favorite color is red, so guess what I did? I went out and uh, I worked and I saved and I went out and I bought you this brand new red Chevy pickup truck. And I want you to have it. But then could I come into the church and say, hey, hey look what I did. No, I could only say, hey, my brother, he did this. He bought this. He gave it to me. That's what Paul's saying. Your salvation is not your own. You did nothing to earn it, nothing to gain it. It's all from God, by his grace, through faith in Christ alone. That's it. Therefore, Christian, you cannot boast in anything except the Lord alone. So today we boast in the Lord. We praise God for our salvation. We praise Him. We glory in His name, in His name alone. Let the one who boasts this morning boast in the Lord. Today, church, I want to invite you in our time of invitation, I want you to invite you to worship God and praise Him. Glory to the Lord our God who saved us in Christ Jesus. It was His work that saved us and His work alone. I glory in His name. I magnify His name i praise him for my salvation thank you god for saving a wretched sinner like me oh will you worship today will you magnify his name some today you've never trusted in christ you've never trusted in the lord but god drew you here today he drew you here today so that you could hear this outward call, the gospel that Christ Jesus came to this world. He lived a life of perfect obedience for you. And he died on Calvary's cross for you, for your sins, so that if you trust in him, he would deliver you from your sins and give you a place in his eternal kingdom. God is opening your heart right now. And you're seeing wisdom. That's true. That's right. Be faithful to respond by trusting in Jesus today. Trust in Him. Give your life to Him so that you might glory in His salvation. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your calling in our lives. As Christians, Lord, we understand, we know, we see your word, we understand it, Lord, that if it were not for you, we would not be saved. 
you are the God of our salvation. Lord, let us never be so arrogant to boast before your throne of anything we've done. We could do nothing without you, without your power working in us. But today, Lord, let us boast in you. Let us glory in you. Let us magnify your name, the God of our salvation. And Lord, I do pray, Lord, certainly there are those today who've never trusted in Jesus, but Lord, you have brought them here today to hear this, this message. And I believe you're calling their heart. Lord, call in such a way that they cannot refuse. Draw them to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.